Perverted. Brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hey everyone, this is your Afro Verdict host, Victor Anakin, and I'm really happy to reach out to you once again. Now, during the festive season, we saw Europe attempting to push further its EU-ACP agreement. Now, this is a topic that has sparked intense debate and controversy across the African continent, with some countries calling for an end to this cooperation due to the perceived imposition of Western values. But before we take a dive into the details, let's take a step back and provide some context. The EU-ACP cooperation is a long-standing partnership between the European Union and the African, Caribbean and Pacific group of states. This partnership is designed to promote economic development, political stability and human rights across these regions. However, in recent years, this cooperation has become increasingly fraught due to the EU's insistence on the adoption of LGBT rights as a condition for receiving aid. And this, of course, has led to accusations of cultural imperialism and the imposition of Western values on African countries, many of which have strong cultural and religious traditions that view homosexuality as a violation of their inherent values. Civil society organizations such as African Caribbean Pacific Civil Society Organization, ACPCSO, Parents Watch Initiative and Zarephath Aid have formed a coalition to speak out against the adoption of these LGBT laws in order to preserve the sovereignty of their countries. In November 2023, Nigeria, along with several other countries, refused to sign the LGBT agreement. And this move was followed by the EU threatening the countries that refused to sign with dire consequences once the agreement comes into force. And these consequences include the elimination of EU funding, development assistance and program implementation. But to have this issue examined, I'm joined by Mr. Ben Abram, Esquire, founder of Zarephath Aid, a Nigerian non-government, non-political and non-profit organization mandated to engender sustainable reforms in selected sectors of the society using strategic means. Let's get right to it. Mr. Abram, welcome to the Afroverdic podcast and thank you for joining me. So... Let's start with why is the European Union trying to impose its neoliberal values on African, Caribbean and Pacific countries? First and foremost, I'd like to clarify that um, the press conference that was held on the 27th by the Coalition of Civil Society Organizations on this um, um, African, Caribbean and Pacific States partnership or agreement with the EU um, my organization, Zarephath Aid, happens to be one of those uh, civil society coalition, a member of the coalition uh, spearheaded by Mr. Sonny Ekuusi. You could get that. Uh, we'll also love you to get his contact later and um, speak with him. He is the spearhead of that coalition. He is a member of the board of um, editors editorial board of the Guardian newspaper in Nigeria, and um, also a member of um, the Project for Human Development, another CS2. Now, Zarefat Aid, which I founded, um, like you saw on the website in 2004, it happens to be um, an organization that works for criminal justice reforms in Nigeria and um, West Africa. We take seriously the issue of criminal justice. We try to reform a whole lot, the police, um, the justice system, the prisons, 
and uh, my organization offers legal aid. And by connecting to this um, coalition, our understanding is that part of the challenges we have in Nigeria today as a nation is traceable to lost values of our people, cultural values, human values. Um, we have a, a high rate of decadence and degradation of values. We also have um, an increasing rate of family breakups. Our culture in Nigeria and Africa, we value families a lot. We value the family units, the father, the mother, and children that could come through the meeting of a man and a woman. Now, in the criminal justice where I work, we have a lot of issues that um, have to do with uh, imprisonment. A lot of um, young people, by the time you do your, you take your data and do your research, you find out that a good number, a, good, a great percentage of the inmates we have in our prisons today in Nigeria are traceable. You can trace them to broken homes, broken families. They don't have a family unit where they grew up. And so we believe that by working, we will be also indirectly working to uphold our values, uh, our virtues, and reduce imprisonment, reduce crime, which leads to imprisonment. I hope you understand. Yeah, yeah, by all means. So that is the reason we are partnering, or we are part of the CSOs in that. And then, and what, what exactly does this have to do with the EU and um, the ACP? Uh, trade agreement. Yes, part of, I'm sure you have, like you said, you read it on Guardian. Okay, you could also um, go on and uh, search, make a search online um, for the video, the full um, media conference. Of course, well, the one that I heard on the 27th December, three days back, is the second in about three months before the agreement was signed or the day, the due date for its signing, which was 15th of um, November, we had one too. And um, what we are basically saying and for which my organization is connected is that when a person or a group or a people are projecting LGBTQ, um, we believe that one should look at some of these um, policies and practices from the cultural perspective. Um, in Europe, where you are, um, in America, this practice is upheld. Part of human rights have been, these, the rights of these people have been taken as, um, have been co-opted and uh, agreed as uh, also part of human rights, the right to be who they want to be, change their sex, and all that. We don't have a problem with that for Europe. We don't have a problem with that for America. But when it comes down to Africa, we are saying, look, just as we said in the press conference, the promotion of these values will work inimically against the family setup. It's going to work against the family setup. I'm giving a background to what led to the media conference. And then to answer your question on why the EU is pushing for this. So the basic foundation for our intervention is that people should be allowed to practice what they believe as long as it doesn't impinge 
on the other persons, on the other countries and ways of way of life, our values, our culture here in Africa and Nigeria, Adelia said, is one that upholds the family unit. Now, if you tamper with the family unit, you've tampered with a whole love, a whole love of um, our being as a people. Now, if you watch the economy in most African nations, just as the West regard Africa as a backward um, people, Africans are not going to jump into the river or the ocean and drown. No, they will still keep on trying to be who they can, the best of who God made them to be. And by doing that, we try to leverage on our strengths. Now, the family is a means of strength. It's a rallying point for African communities, a father, a mother, and also the extended family, grandfather, grandmother, children, cousins, nephews. In Europe, you have the safety nets provided by the government. You have the social security. You have the mortgage systems. You have um, retirement uh, plans. You have uh, established schooling uh, systems. You have things that people can rely on without really the family. Just as many of you in Europe regard Africa as backward, Part of the reason is because these systems are not in place. Of course, thanks to bad leadership. But that system which we hold there, which is a rallying point, is a family. That's why we said also during the press conference, the first one and the second one, that when people have problems in Africa, the first place they run to is a family. In Nigeria, when people fall sick, in Europe, for example, around the... 199 to call the United States, and the ambulance comes to fetch the person to go to hospital without the father or mother and anybody. But in Africa, you don't have the 199. Nigeria, you quickly call a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, someone in the community, and they come and they assist and take the person to the hospital. They raise money to pay, and that is the reason. The family setup is so important. It's our safety net here. When people want to begin business in Nigeria, they don't run to the government. The government doesn't have much to offer. When you go to the banks, the banks will um, charge exorbitant interest rates, um, give appointments, and um, dismiss the business idea as impracticable. So the person falls back to the family, the nuclear family, the extended family for support. And many times, in many ways, small businesses have flourished, have started uh, the seed capital, seed from the family, the, the seed is sown, and these businesses grow and flourish all because of the support of the family. We hold the family unit very dearly here. And by trying to push this practice, as it were, down the truth of Africa, countries using their government, we believe that the EU is not doing properly. Mm -hmm. the, the effect of LGBTQ in Africa will be adverse. Families will be destroyed. When a man goes to marry a man and leaves a woman, they won't be a children. A lot of things will affect the family setup. So EU, like you asked, why are they pushing I can't answer that question specifically. I don't know what kind of diplomacy that is. I believe it's getting out from the normal international diplomacy we know. And uh, let me stop there for now. Thank you. And why do you think is it important to protect sovereignty in terms of identity and national traditional values? 
like we said during the press conference or the media conference, sovereignty um, is to a nation what being is to an individual. An individual is a being, and of course, it's a human being. And sovereignty is the being, I could use that word, the beingness of a nation. The beingness, if I could use that word, the, the state of being. And by international law, sovereignty is, um, that's why during the media conference, we asked those questions. When did, um, when did we, when, what, what is the idea behind some of these uh, injections or infusions into trade agreements, especially in this context of EU-ACT? Is it not, in a sense, watering down the sovereignty of African, Caribbean, and Pacific nations? By inserting this before agreement is signed, you're like um, saying, Duke, you don't have anything to offer. We have something to offer. But for us to give this to you, you are going to do this. And that which they want African nations, Caribbean nations to do is those the things that affect their culture. By that, you're impinging on their sovereignty, however indirectly it could be. You are saying to them, no, you can't say no as a nation to something you don't agree with. In Nigeria, yeah, we have the same sex marriage prohibition law act passed by the National Assembly, the Federal Assembly in 2014 that prohibits relationships around um, LGBT. That's a term of imprisonment for whoever is involved in it or whoever promotes it. That is the power of sovereignty of a nation. What happened in Uganda um, this year where the president signed... Um, a law that prescribes for death, not prescribes death penalty for what they call aggravated, uh, I think, aggravated uh, homosexuality. Exactly. It's defined in their law books. And uh, America and Europe reacted. And a lot of sanctions, I believe, have been uh, meted out to Uganda, economic sanctions especially. Yes, if one even talks about um, the death penalty being extreme. Outlawing that relationship or that practice and uh, prescribing a term of imprisonment like Nigeria did is something that defines the sovereignty of Nigeria and just like Uganda and other nations that have, have outlawed it. So your question, yes, we don't understand why the EU is going through this. It, it's It's impinges, it reduces, it detracts from the concept of sovereignty for uh, inserting in a trade agreement that the practice of LGBT and those principles should be allowed. We believe that um, the concept of sovereignty as initially espoused by Europe and the West is gradually being deviated from. Even though no one is saying the, the, the threat actually is where we are asking the questions. Why the threats? We thought that this was something that should be done okay, um, as partners. Okay, so that's my take on that. So rising out of this, what threats does the EU resort to? And why does Brussels prioritize threats over diplomacy? Yes, um, that is also something that is queer uh, in our understanding we also ask those questions during the media conference. Why the threats? Firstly, um, 
many countries already have individual what we call bilateral trade agreements with the EU. The EU as a body made up of um, so many other countries, so many countries in Europe. And then those countries individually have trade agreements with many of these nations, the ACP states. So the EU agreements, the funding, these are other agreements apart from this um, current one in issue. The EU funds so many things in Nigeria, healthcare, elections, when it comes during elections, national elections, the EU brings funds to train um, government agencies that oversee the elections, train election monitors and observers, train the security people. They do a lot of things. They fund a lot of things. They, they go beyond that to also fund um, areas that have to do with the social uh, system, Medicare. They have uh, running ag they have uh, <clears throat> agreements that are ongoing in the area of education. And these are the areas, the threats are being uh, directed to. So for nations who don't sign that, quite a, num a number of this funding will reduce or disappear. And um, whatever positive change that this funding or these uh, interventions have brought to these countries will disappear. We have a lot of interventions in the area of security from these um, EU states. So it's basically also uh, the trends that have to do with the economy, supports, and so on and so on. We also have quite a number of countries that have taken loans and grants, repayable grants from some EU institutions over the years. And um, that is also where these trends, it's mainly an economic thing. And uh, that is the aspect of the trends. And then to answer the second part of your question, why do they result to this? I will know that. Why don't they go on to diplomacy? I don't know why. I thought, uh, like I specifically said during the press conference, I'm a lawyer by training in Nigeria. Uh, I've been a lawyer for about 30 years. Um, going through college, studying law, where we were taught, um, just as you call it, the sovereignty of states, principles of um, sovereignty, concept of sovereignty. We were also taught um, how diplomacy works to some extent. I didn't um, go on to major in international law and diplomacy, but those basics, we had it. And we also understood the concept of respect for states. But uh, like I said during the media conference, in the past um, 20 years or 25 years, a lot has changed about this basic concept of sovereignty of nations. We see a tilt towards increasing, increasing intolerance, especially from the West towards some other nation states which are not um, able to, you know, provide who are not as developed as they are. Over these 25 years, we have also seen economic challenges increase in many of these states. I'm in Africa, I'm in Nigeria, so I speak much for sub-Saharan Africa. 
where bad leadership has affected um, so many young people and old people. So in these past years, there has been a, an increasing dependence on the West. So making the, making the relationship unequal, and that has opened the space, the room for the West to gradually trounce the concept of sovereignty and increasingly push for the policies that, that are not agreeable to us. They push these policies more boldly and more openly as opposed to what you had 25 years ago where diplomacy, like you said, heads well. So they understand that poverty is increasing in Africa. Nations are getting weaker, even though the figures, the rates, the numbers may look better, but the, the, the value of life, the quality of life is getting lower. So to that extent, it's an, equal, it's an unequal partnership. I don't know why then they feel it should be this way. Why not take diplomacy to come in, increase your aid, show support for these nations, and that's which you intend to do. One way or the other, you may achieve it. I said may because I can't say for these nations. Their cultural values may still change over time, but changes, the, the change has taken place over time in Africa and then the world as a whole. So it may still change. But to push it the way it's being done will meet a lot of resistance. Mr. Abram, thank you. And lastly, to what extent can the ACP-EU relations be characterized as an equal partnership, considering the EU's attempts to impose its values on these ACP countries? Yes, it's an, it's unequal. To the extent that um, you're coming to the table and you believe you have more than the other person. When you get to the negotiation table and um, you have the disposition that what I'm bringing to the table is superior to what the other person is taking or is bringing, that automatically triggers inequality. More so, we are in, an, in a trade agreement, we are supposed to be focused on what do I get from you in terms of trade, and what do you get from me in terms of trade. But, be, but they go beyond that simplicity and bring in these policies. By that, what um, message is being passed to these states is that, look, um, we're not just trading with you, but we are also exporting our policies, our practices to you. Um, someone said uh, another member of the coalition, a lady who spoke at the media conference, asked a question. She asked, um, will it be okay for the West in this agreement to take up polygamy as part of their um, national tools now, because Africa, many African communities still practice polygamy, having more than one wife in Islam, which is part of Africa here. One can marry up to four wives. In non-Islamic communities, you could see men that have up to six wives, two wives, three wives. It's very common. But that is not common in Europe and America. And then the member of the coalition asks, will it be okay for us to ask you to take up polygamy? 
will you think will you will you see it um positively and kindly so and if you can if you don't see it that way why do you why does uh, why does eu bring in this in as part of a trade agreement and now something else this uh, agreement is supposed to replace this agreement is supposed to run for the next 20 years after which it's going to be reviewed and it's coming on on the back heels of um, the 20 the two the year 2000 agreement a similar agreement that was signed in Cotonou in the year 2000 between eu and african states as well so there has been uh, there is um, uh, um there is an earlier agreement before this which didn't contain those things and this other agreement ran for four for 20 years that is what the eu want to renew in this agreement this current one wherein they inserted these um, uh, clauses. And this one is supposed to also run for 20 years. It was uh, signed in Samoa. So the partnership is unequal to that extent. And I, 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 I see it from the attitude and the um, disposition of the EU towards nation states who don't want to sign it. Grain update. Another grain shipment from Russia has arrived in Eritrea on the 4th of January 2024, providing 25,000 tons of free wheat to the country. Here's what Russia's ambassador to Eritrea, Igor Monrosko, told Sputnik Africa. The grain supply is certainly an important event, not only for Eritrea, but for all African countries. This action shows that Russia, unlike the West, doesn't rant, but does concrete things and keeps its promises. Eritrea is familiar with Russian grain firsthand. Almost all of it is purchased from Russia and accounts for almost 90% of our bilateral trade. Every year, the amount of grain purchased increases. In 2020, it was 20,000 tons. In 2022, 27,500 tons. 2023 amounted 33,000 tons. I believe that the decision of the Russian president, Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin, to provide 25,000 tons of grain free of charge to Eritrea makes a great contribution to ensuring the food security and general security of the country. And I believe that the Eritrean government will be grateful to the Russian leadership for this action. Naturally, our activity on the African continent is alarming and makes Western quote-unquote democracies nervous. They are refused to be shaken hands with by many African countries. Some of them are even almost expelled. In Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, and in some other countries, you can see Russian flags in large quantities on the streets, and the West feels that the ground is disappearing from under its feet and naturally worries about this. They are losing their appeal, losing their weight in African countries. African countries also want to pursue an independent policy. They can less and less be called to a rule-based order. Eritrea has long ceased to live under the dictatorship of the West. There are no ambassadors of the United States, the UK, or Germany in the country. Relations with these countries have been reduced to the level of chargé d'affaires. 
Russia has a partnership, friendly and equal relationship with Eritrea, as well as with most other countries on the African continent. This, as political scientists aptly put it, is causing heartburn in the collective West. The sanctions that were imposed against Russia, it is now clear to everyone, did not work, just as they did not work against Eritrea, which has been under Western sanctions for almost the entire period of its independence. Naturally, any sanctions in any form cause absolute rejection by the Eritrean leadership. And in this regard, the president of Eritrea calls on our Russian leadership to act more actively on the African continent, to establish direct contacts, direct air, sea, and financial communications in order to break through this Western policy. And we, in fact, are going to act in this vein. Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin spoke about this at the second Russia-Africa summit in July last year. This line is pursued by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and personally by Foreign Minister Sergei Viktorovich Lavrov in his contacts with the leaders of African states and with his fellow ministers during numerous meetings and visits to the African continent. And that's that for today's podcast. Thanks for joining me on AfroVerdict. If you missed something, feel free to rewind on popular podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Pocket Casts, AfriPods, CastBox, as well as Podcast Addict. Stay on top of things with the user-friendly Sputnik Africa application or check out our social media accounts like TikTok and Telegram. Have a good one, everybody. You'll hear from me later this week. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.